Merry Christmas. Good to see you here this morning. Today is a special day. Obviously, it's Christmas Day. And we're going to do things a little different today. You see, what happens is preachers typically preach the Sundays leading up to Christmas. And then after Christmas, they hang out with their families and someone else preaches. But every now and then, Christmas falls on a Sunday. And I am glad to be with you here on this special Christmas Sunday. And I've been planning and praying for this very day for a whole year. No joke. Like starting last January, I was praying for this Christmas day. I I knew there wouldn't be a lot of people here. I didn't know who would be here. I'm glad you're here. But I was praying and planning for this day. And I wanted to do something different. So we're not going to have a guest preacher in, but I thought, you know, this would be a great day to bring a guest preacher from the Bible. Yeah? Bring a Bible character alive. And so I was thinking about a character I could bring alive for you this morning, and the character I'm going to bring alive is the character, the Apostle Paul. Don't you remember the Apostle Paul in the manger scene? No, you don't. No, he's not in the manger scene, all right? But there is, there is this portion that I really wanted to uh, read to you, actually recite to you um, from the Bible. Now, a lot of you might not know who the Apostle Paul is. Let me just tell you. He was a guy who hated Jesus, and he hunted Christians. He wanted Christians to be wiped out. And Jesus intervened in his life and saved him. And so the Apostle Paul became a great leader in the early church. And so I thought, okay, what would the Apostle Paul say to you on Christmas morning about Jesus? And my guess is it probably would come from the book of Romans, which is a a wonderful book of the Bible. If you want to read a book of the Bible, uh, just kind of get you integrated into what Christianity is all about, the book of Romans would be a good start. And so what I've been doing since last January, I I started memorizing um, the book of Romans. Not the whole book. Uh, I I, I, I thought, this will be a great day to do Romans 1 through 3. Chapters 1 through 3. So I've been memorizing it. And what I want to do is actually preach it to you today. So I don't want you to look at the Bible. Just pretend like I'm the Apostle Paul preaching to you Romans 1 through 3. And you may ask, well, why did you pick Romans? Well, get this. There is a portion in Romans chapter 3, 21 through 26, which is the... Is it possible to say something is the best part of the Bible? Can you say that? (laughs) It's the best part of the Bible. It talks about the greatest thing. You know what it says in Romans uh, 3, 21 and 26? It says that you can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ by faith. It's it's amazing book of the Bible. It talks about something called justification. So don't get hung up on the big words. Justification. I can't even say it. Justification means that we can have our sins forgiven, and God can view us as we have kept all His commandments in the righteousness of Christ. That means that sinners can be reconciled to to the Father through faith in Jesus. So it's the best part of the Bible. But you may be wondering. Why does a human being need to be reconciled to God? Well, this is where Romans chapter 1, 2, and portions of 3 come in handy because they talk about how all of us 
are sinners. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter who you are. You've not kept God's commandments. And the Bible's going to talk about this morning. You're going to hear words about Jews. And you're going to hear how the Jews are circumcised. And you're going to wonder why you're hearing about circumcision on Christmas Day. The Jews and they're circumcised and they have the law. But even though the Jews have the law, they've not kept it perfectly. They've not. And then you're going to hear about Gentiles. Gentiles are going to be called Greeks. They're going to be called barbarians. And that just means most of you guys. You're Gentiles. You didn't grow up in a a Jewish home. You grew up afar from, from that concept. But whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Every single one in here. You may be a good person. You may be a nice, charitable person who does a lot of good deeds. I do not doubt that. But in relation to a holy God, you are sinful. We all are sinful. But the good news is Christmas. It's not just about Jesus coming into the messy manger. It's about Jesus coming into this messy world. And so when we're going to be marching through the book of Romans, I want to make sure you understand where we're going. We're going to start the book of Romans with a little greeting. That's what you want to do when you write a letter to someone. You want to greet them. So Paul is going to greet the church in Rome. He's going to, talk them how, he's going to tell them how he's passionate to, to see them sometimes. He's going to talk about how he's passionate for the gospel. And then he's going to start talking about the messiness of sin. So I'm going to move over here and talk about chapter 1 on how we're all guilty before God. And when you start hearing all these sins and you start to be disgusted, think, ah, Jesus entered that sinful world, our sinful world. And then we're going to move into chapter 2 and it's going to talk about how Jews and Greeks and everybody are under the curse of sin. And then we're going to talk about chapter 3, and then we're going to continue with the same messy sin message, but then we're going to exalt so high our Lord Jesus Christ who came to rescue us. When we celebrate Christmas, it's just not a nice little manger scene where we get all excited and we're wondering why we're getting so excited. Jesus, God, the Son of God became flesh to rescue us and bring us back into a relationship with God through faith. It is the greatest story ever. The greatest truth ever. And so what I want to do on this Christmas morning is put my words aside and give you the word of God straight up from the Apostle Paul. So put your Bibles down. Just listen to this great truth that Jesus came to rescue us and bring us back to God. Awesome. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to, re- I'm going to preach to you. And then I'm going to pray again. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I just ask that you would bring your word alive right now. About 2,000 years ago, you were manifested in the flesh to save sinners, to die on the cross for sinners, to shed your blood for us and you were buried and you rose again and through faith in you we can be reconciled to the father and lord i just ask if there are any hard hearts here this morning any people uh, here thinking they're they're pretty they're doing pretty good in life without you jesus that you would intervene in their lives maybe they didn't anticipate any intrusion into their life this christmas morning but i just ask you would invade their lives as you invaded our world 2000 years ago 
and speak your truth. Take us to the high point of your salvation and your son. Do something significant this morning, Lord, through your word. In Christ's name, amen. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ, for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve within my spirit, in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. Asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they came futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkening. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals and reptiles 
Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen! For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise give up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who do such things. Do you suppose, oh man, you who judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, You're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there'll be wrath and fury. There'll be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil the Jew first, and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. 
But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you've been instructed from the law, and if you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value, if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So, if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Then what advantage has a Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Well, much in every way, to begin with. The Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I'm speaking in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come as some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No. Not at all. For we've already charged that all unrighteous, none seek God, all have turned aside, together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. 
For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from works of the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one. He will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this kind of faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for invading our our world of sin. We thank you for invading our lives of sin. We thank you that righteousness has now been manifested When we celebrate the birth of Christ, we are celebrating the solution to our sin problem and our our being cut off from relationship with the Father. And I just ask you right now, Lord, that you would do something significant in our lives. If there's anyone here who is not believing, that they would repent of their sin, which is common for all of us, that they would return from that and put their faith in Jesus Christ to have their sins forgiven, and to have the perfect righteousness of Christ applied to them so that they can stand before you, a holy God. And Lord, we praise you and worship you for this wonderful plan of salvation, which is not by works so that we can go boasting about how good we are, but it's by grace. Jesus, you are good. You are perfect. We praise you for the plan, and we worship and celebrate you on this Christmas morning. To you be the glory. In Christ's name, amen.